So today, obviously, is Palm Sunday, and we're going to start this little mini-series. It's today, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. It's called Hope in a Broken World. Now, we can all agree there are issues and problems in this world, right? We can all agree there's issues and problems. All we have to do is go to any news media outlet, and you'll see the brokenness of our world. Now, when something is broken, we obviously look to fix it or we look to throw it away. So some things, obviously, we can't throw away. So whatever that thing is that's broken, it actually needs to be fixed. So then the question is, who can fix this broken world? Okay, who can fix this broken world? Now, the first thought for many is, our leaders can fix it. Okay, refrain from laughing. Um, So... We elect leaders to fix problems in our country and then hopefully help other countries fix the problems in their country as well. And hopefully those countries are kind of like having the same idea, like let's elect good leaders or let's put good leaders in charge that can actually fix problems in this world. So let me ask you this question. How is this working out? How is this working out? Well, I think it's probably working out the same way it's working out, or worked out for Israel when they demanded to God, we want a king, right? And God gave them King Saul, and it did not go well for them. The reason why it did not go well for them is they put their attention on the leader, and they took their attention off of God. They took their attention and their focus off God, so they put their hope in the leader. This guy can do it. We have a king like everybody else. So, in fact, many leaders today, whether it's our country or others, have actually no focus or attention on God. They actually have no focus or attention on God. So people are looking up to people to fix the world's problems, and they have no focus and no attention on God. Maybe even you've seen this past week that some leaders actually suggest that Christians shouldn't even pray, right? Because it doesn't work. Okay, that's what they'll say. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to find out the hope this broken world has. And we're going to see it doesn't necessarily always work out the way people think it should work out. But I'm going to suggest to you, because I know the truth, that it actually works out better. It actually works out better. So I want to pick up on this Palm Sunday morning with what this day represents, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So it starts off in Luke 19, 29 through 30. It says, When he drew near to Bethpage of Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So we have to ask this, what is going on here? Okay, what is going on here? Every year, right, we come to this passage. It's before Good Friday. It's before Easter Sunday. We come to this passage where Jesus is triumphantly entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, on a donkey. So let's look at this. The first thing that we see here in this passage is this. What Jesus is doing is he's making public his claim of being Messiah. Jesus is first making public his claim of being the Messiah. He's triumphantly arriving as a humble king of peace into Jerusalem. This is an act that he's basically saying, okay, now I'm letting everyone know. Because if you notice before in the Gospels, Jesus would heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody I healed you. You remember stuff like that? You know, he would do these miracles and people were like, oh, we want to talk to him. And he would steal away. Okay, he would do all these things. He was kind of like almost like elusive, like people couldn't catch up with him. People couldn't figure it out. People were wondering what's going on. And now Jesus was like, it's time. Okay, it's time for me to reveal who I am to all you people. It's time. So the next thing is the people put their cloaks out. 2 Kings 9.13, okay? 2 Kings 9.13 tells us that spreading the cloaks is an act of homage to royalty, okay, for royalty. The followers recognize Jesus is, in fact, the king. So now we're going to treat him like the king. So we're going to put our cloaks out. They put the cloaks on the donkey. They put their cloaks out on the road. But the third thing that we see here is this. Jesus was on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. Okay, Jesus was on a donkey. Historically, entering a city on a donkey actually signified peace. Entering a city on a donkey actually signified peace. Rather than a conquering king arriving on the horse, Jesus was on the donkey. This is also a fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. It says, And behold, O Jerusalem of Zion, the king comes on to you, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey. So Jesus' entrance on this donkey was a symbol of peace. Which brings us to the next thing, and that is Jesus, or the people had an expectation. Now the fourth thing is the people had an expectation. They praised him because they wanted Jesus to lead them in a revolt against Rome. Okay, so here's what's actually happening in their mind. So you have all these disciples, they're following Jesus, they're going into Jerusalem, okay? The Jewish people at that time weren't really free, in a sense, because they were under the tyranny of Rome. So the expectation of the followers of Jesus is, hey, he's going to lead a revolt. Now let me ask you a question. If the donkey symbolized peace... Why do you think these guys had this expectation? Well, because there were problems in their world, right? And when there's problems in our world, what do we want? We want to be free of the problems. Okay, there's not one person in here that doesn't turn on the TV or read the newspaper or go on the internet and say, you know what, I really wish these problems didn't exist. So their expectation was the problem is Rome, the tyranny of Rome, so we want to be free. We want to be free to worship, we want to be free to rule, we want to be free to do what we please. 
Which brings us to the final thing, is, and that is Jesus could lead the revolt because of the mighty works that he did. Remember, they praised him for the mighty works. Jesus had a proven track record, didn't he? Jesus had a proven track record. Now, some might ask, well, what are the mighty works? And, you know, I mean, I could list them for days, right? There's, I think, 39 or 40 miracles that Jesus did up until this point. I think it was 38 up until this point of miracles that Jesus did. So his followers are following him around for three plus years. They're seeing all these mighty works that he's done. He's healing people. He even sets people straight, right? He turned the tables over in the temple and kind of rebuked the leaders, right? He challenged the religious leaders. The healings, the miraculous sign. These people followed Jesus for over three years, so they knew, man, Jesus is capable of a lot. Rome was an oppressive force, and the Jewish people had to deal with that oppressive force on a daily basis. So as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, they believed in view of the mighty works Jesus had already done, surely, surely Jesus has the power to overthrow Rome. Now, the mighty works gave the disciples hope. The mighty works gave the disciples hope. Now, they're thinking, we have somebody standing up for us. We have someone to deliver us. We have someone we can trust. We, get, we have someone that is more powerful, powerful enough to take down our oppressors. So this is their mindset. This is their thought process. They're thinking all these things. But do you know they really did have hope? Jesus was standing up for them, right? Jesus could deliver them. They could trust Jesus. Jesus could take down what was oppressing them. But they were just looking at the temporal or the temporary, right? How life was for a Jewish person in that day. But the truth is, Jesus had a greater mission than the temporary. He had a greater mission than temporary relief from oppressive Rome. Jesus was on mission to actually give the people hope for eternity. Free them from their true oppressor, which is sin. Which is saving them, really, saving us, right, from ourselves, our own temptations, our own sin. Now, think about your life. Think about the broken world we live in right now. Which is better or which gives you more hope? Fixing things for here and now or having things fixed for eternity? Your choice, right? Your choice. Here and now, heaven on earth, so to speak or fixing things for eternity. Now let's paint a picture. Imagine things in this world are exactly the way you think they should be. Does that fix all the problems? Well, maybe from your perspective, right? Maybe from your perspective, but what about the, all the people that do not agree with your perspective or the way that you think things should be? So now you got your wish, right? Everything's the way you think they should be, but now you got this whole other crew over here, and you know, I hate to tell you, but the crew over there seems to be bigger than the crew over here, doesn't it? Okay, there's a lot of them that don't think things are, should be the way that we think things should be. But what if by chance everyone could agree? What if by chance everyone could agree? Are things fixed? Not really. 
Because we have other problems, right? It's called physical health, right? Some of you woke up this morning, you're like, ah, right? Ah, ah, I don't feel that good today, right? This doesn't work like it used to, right? We have physical health. Even if we could have a perfect environment, eat the best foods, eradicate diseases, guess what? We still get old and we still die. That's not gonna change. It's not gonna change. What happens next? So it seems like there's no escape or there's no fix. Now, the people of Jesus' day were short-sighted. They kind of had spiritual blinders on, even the ones that were following him into Jerusalem at that time. They thought their hope was being freed from the tyranny of Rome and being able to freely worship. That would be great for them, but that is only a fraction of the hope that Jesus could bring. You see, the hope Jesus could bring is obviously eternal. The gospel teaches us we're all sinners. We're broken. Okay? We're part of this broken problem. Jesus does mighty works, but his mightiest work was the fact that he was willing to lay down his life to pay the price for our sins. Or in other words, give us a solution. Fix our sin problem. Repair what is broken in us. The power of the resurrection, which we're going to celebrate at the end of this day next week, it validates that he can conquer death, that he can give us life. When we believe Jesus, we have hope of eternal life. But not only that, the eternal life will be spent in a fixed world. Do you realize that? The eternal life that we have will be spent in a fixed world. At the end of Revelation, when it comes to the new heavens and the new earth, the song that we sing, when we arrive on eternity's shore, and what? Death is just a memory. Tears are no more. Okay? I didn't even ask them to play that song. Just worked out that way. Right? So here's the thing. Paradise, there is no brokenness. The new heaven and earth, there is no brokenness. There is no more death, no more aging, no more deterioration. The scriptures teach us that the old order of things has passed away. That's fixed, right? That's what we look towards. You know, we could try so hard, and there's even some Christians that think, okay, our job is to make everything better here. It's not necessarily the job of the Christian. Okay? It's not the call of the Christian. The call is to tell them about Jesus who gives us hope. Today, as believers in Jesus, the main way that we can cope with and deal with the brokenness of this world is knowing this world is not my home. Okay? I am not suggesting at all that believers in Jesus should not try to do things that make the world better. Jesus said to us, you are the salt and the light, right? Salt and the light. Salt is a preservative. Light gives light to the truth, right? So meaning that we should be, do good and we should bless others. Christians should be the best people that you know, okay? We as Christians should be the best people that other people know. People should look at us and say, you know that person, they're the salt and the light. They're the salt and the light. I love being around them. They're encouraging. They're helpful. They're willing to do whatever it takes to help me out. They love me. They care for me. They're not going to yell at me. They're not going to be angry with me in the sense of in, in fights and different things like that. We have to remember that doing good things, being the salt and the light to this earth, actually give us opportunities 
to point people to the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, if we're complaining, honorary people, if we just spend all our time complaining about what's wrong with this world, guess what? Nobody's going to want to be around with you. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be around you, okay? And there's a lot of people in your house that probably don't want to be around you. They're sick and tired of it. So here's the thing. As believers in Christ, we have hope. So shouldn't right, our conversations kind of steer towards who he is and what he's done, towards the hope that he has? If you've learned nothing in our study of Acts yet, right, what, what has been the main thing of our study of Acts? Getting the gospel out, right, to the ends of the earth. This is what these early believers were doing. How did somewhere along the line, 2,000 years later, Christians get so lost? I'll tell you how. Our focus is wrong. Our focus is wrong. You know, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that this is not our home. But while we're here, we should do good. Look at what Hebrews says. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know, we have the wrong idea if we think that we can create a heaven on earth, that, that all the world's problems of this brokenness could be healed in this life. It's not a lasting city. It's just not a lasting city. But it pleases God when we do good. It pleases God because it shows people hope. It shows them what is to come. It shows them the perfection. It shows them the fixed world. Like this verse tells us, though, we should praise him. We should praise him. That's one thing that this group of followers did right on that first Palm Sunday. Wouldn't you agree? This is what they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were praising. They were praising. Okay, maybe they had some wrong ideas on the way in. You know, you always hear, like, you know, you'll hear maybe pastors on TV. and they say, How did everybody go from praising Jesus to yelling, crucifying him in a week? Well, the reason why is their, their perspective was wrong. Then when he didn't deliver what they thought he was going to deliver, they're like, eh. He's useless to us. He's useless to us. That's what they thought. So they were praising him. They got part of it right, and it was actually annoying to the religious leaders at this point. So here's the final verse in this passage. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. <laughs> That is a very interesting verse, isn't it? If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let me just tell you this. Even if you do not recognize who Jesus is, that doesn't change who he is or what he's done. You know, you talk to a lot of people. Nah, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Well, guess what? Your lack of belief doesn't make Jesus not real. Okay, your lack, your opinion. We put so much weight on what people's opinion. Do you hear what so-and-so said? Do you hear what so-and-so thinks? 
You know, I don't want to be callous, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't care, okay? I really don't, because it goes in the face of who Jesus is and what he's done. There's no person in this world that could convince me otherwise that Jesus is the Savior. So your lack of belief doesn't make Jesus not real. Your lack of belief doesn't mean that there is no hope in Jesus. Your lack of belief really only impacts you. And that's why Jesus said that if people don't praise him, guess what? The stones are going to open their mouth, okay? He was not speaking literally here, but he was saying, listen, all creation, all creation will praise. He will get the praise. He will get the praise because he is the creator. The creation knows that. The creation testifies that he is the creator. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to close our sermon with observing communion this morning. And communion is something that obviously we're fast-forwarding a little bit. But really, communion is an act of praise for believers. Communion is an act of praise for believers. It's a time for us to remember what our Savior has done. It's a time for us to recollect the fact that He fixed our sin problem. That He fixed that by dying on the cross. That He offers eternal life to each person that believes. So it's really, Jesus says, it's a time for you to remember what I've done. To remember the solution to your sin problem. But it's also, it's also a time for us to evaluate. To look at our own lives. You know, maybe for you as a believer, maybe you've fallen into that trap of just being ornery and complaining. Of looking at the world. And, and like, I'll tell you, this, this, this is something important for you as a believer. What you fill your mind with will dictate how you live your life. What you fill your mind with, your your ideas and the the way that you're thinking every single day, what you fill your mind with. I can, you know, I, I mean, I can do nothing short of pleading with you to say, fill your mind with the word, okay? Fill your mind with the word. Don't go on those news media things. Yeah, you gotta check what's going on in the world and stuff. Do it for 10 minutes, five maybe, okay? Just shorten that time. If you're the type of person that every time somebody walks into your house, there's some kind of news spouting out from the TV, you're not doing yourself any services. Because guess what? They're not fixing the problem, and they're not helping you fix the problem. Only Jesus can fix the problem. So throw that sin at the foot of the cross and just say, you know what, Jesus, I want to spend more time with you. I want to know what's going on in your world, in your word. I don't want to be super educated on what the world has to say, but I want to be educated on what you have to say. If that's your issue, throw that at the cross. Whatever your issue is, communion is a time to just say, you know what, Lord, this needs to change. I can't change it. You can change it. I need your help. So let's uh, give you guys a moment of silence, and then we'll partake together.
On night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do, do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for what this day represents, Lord. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for the fact that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, that he was giving true hope, even though it wasn't the hope that the people wanted in that day and in that time. It was a hope that impacted eternity. We're thankful, Lord, that you came into this world at a volatile time and showed us that you can give each person peace, that you can give us peace through your bloodshed on the cross, that you can bring us peace through showing that you are God by rising from the grave. I pray, Lord, for all of us. I pray as this big week comes up, this Good Friday, Easter Sunday, all the events and different things that we have going on here at the church, Lord. I pray that it would never be about those things, but it's always about you. That it's always about us speaking the truth to the people around us. Friends, family members, neighbors. Lord, they all need hope just as we did. We're thankful that we grabbed hold of your hope. We just pray, Lord, that the people around us that don't find their hope in you, that are looking for their hope in leaders, looking for their hope in policies, looking for their hope in the way things should be in their mindset, I pray, Lord, that they would be settled in the fact that hope is only through you, Jesus, and it's you that you praise, that we praise. Amen. Amen. You may rise.